This is the podcast where we talk about how to get more shows, grants, and residencies. And in this episode of Our Problems, we're talking about the Guggenheim Fellowship. This grant is awarded to mid-career artists with a significant show history, and the deadline, which was just announced this week, is just around the corner on September 21st. The website says that they award exceptional individuals in pursuit of scholarship in any field of knowledge, and that funding mandate often manifests in the winners as artists who lead art departments where they teach or have been teaching for a long time often win these awards. It doesn't mean that other artists don't win these awards. They definitely do, but that is one group of artists that tends to do very well. So each year they award 25 visual artists and 15 photographers. They receive just under 2,500 applications for 48 different disciplines. So the creative arts is the largest section, but they award people in the maths and sciences too. And it's one of the most prestigious awards that an artist can win. And that's why I dedicate so much time to the grant inside the network membership. We have several sample winning grant applications, a grant timeline that we produced just for 2023, which was laid out by one of the winners, a network member, Aaron Rothman. We have a panel discussion, and this year we're doing live application reviews so that members know that they're submitting their strongest work. So we've already done one of those reviews and we have another one coming. Now, I can't offer all of these resources on the podcast, obviously, but I do wanna give you an overview of the grant with some key mistakes that I know many artists make so that you can avoid them. So let's start at the very beginning, and this is deciding whether or not you will apply. So in my experience, Artists often make one of three mistakes. The first one is applying too early in their career. If you're young and you're just out of grad school, it's really not worth it to apply. You have to have a significant show history at museums or commercial galleries. And the career narrative that you need to write for the application, which is basically a prose version of your CV, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but that will change so much over the next five to 10 years that you're gonna end up rewriting everything. So that's when it's too early to apply. Now, the second mistake is not applying even though you have experience showing at museums. And I actually think this one is much more common. Here's the thing. This is a competitive application, no doubt about it, but it's not nearly as competitive as say the Creative Capital Grant, which receives 4,500 applications. The reason this one is tough though, is that it takes a lot of time and you have to ask for references. But once you have that application, you can reuse it for a lot of other applications. There are a lot of benefits to this. So I want you to think very seriously about applying for this grant. If you fall into this category and The third mistake, and this sort of is related to the second, is not applying often enough. 
Now, Aaron Rothman told network members this Saturday that he got the sense that the foundation had been tracking his work for some time when he talked to them. This was the fifth time that he applied and each year his application got better. And he, by the way, he's not the first person to say that. We had Jane Southin last year and she said something similar that she had applied a bunch of years before she got it. So when you apply repeatedly, each time you do that, your application is going to get better because this is what happens when you apply year after year. You make improvements each time you see new things, you grow and the organization, the foundation is going to watch that growth. So that's important. Now, once you have decided to apply for the grant, you want to figure out who your references are going to be and you want to ask them early. And by early, I mean, if you haven't done this yet and you're planning to apply, ask those people now. Some references will get booked up and you can get turned down because you because they're already writing a lot and don't have time to write another. Also, remind your references that you will give their names and info in September 21st, but they won't need to write the reference until mid-November because that's when it's due for them. So they have time. Don't be afraid to ask for recommendations. I know this is super scary. I hate it too, you know, (laughs) being honest. And it's scary because, you know, it takes time to write these things and you're asking somebody to do these things for you. But anybody that you ask for a reference will likely consider it part of their job. I know I do. I know that most academics consider it part of their job. So think about it that way. And you can always give them like a structure for their letter that they can alter. So there are ways to make this easier for people. Now, sometimes references are called. So make sure that they know your work, but also don't worry about the references too much. I also know a winner who told me that one of his references forgot to submit the letter. He still won, right? So the amount of attention that references get, I think is sometimes a little bit more than is deserved. And once you've got that out of the way, you're going to be thinking about your project statement and career narrative, because those are the things that are due immediately on September 21st. But I'd also like you to be thinking about documenting your work really well because it takes time to take good pictures and you need really good pictures of your work. So although the fellowship asks for your application first and then your images in the second stage of the review process, so they'll ask you probably in November sometime, unless like the only reason they wouldn't ask you for those images, I think, is if you haven't filled the forms out properly and you haven't really submitted enough to be competitive. So they're going to ask pretty much everybody for the images. Then when they review the applications, they look at the images first. So those images need to be excellent. And again, you know, it takes time to take good pictures. So you want to make sure that you budget that in. Now the project statement outlines what you want to do with the money and why. And in a lot of cases, quite frankly, that like it might just be spending time in your studio and that's fine. But the project statement still needs to paint a picture that distinguishes your work from other artists while demonstrating a continuity in your practice. So you want to make sure 
that they know that you have that continuity. The Guggenheim is not one of those granting agencies that cares what you do with the money once you have it, as long as it is supporting your practice. So some artists are gonna do exactly what they lay out and others won't, and that's fine with the foundation. I believe they're actually proud of that. That's something that they say. Where I'm going with this is that you don't need a fancy plan and a long proposal if that doesn't make sense for your practice. A juror is going to appreciate a short proposal and is frankly, my opinion, a little more likely to read the full thing on the first round if it is short. Because what happens in that first round is you get really overwhelmed with the amount of text that you have to read. And so just by necessity, there is going to be some skimming. So make your language really simple. It's the best way to make a competitive application. The career narrative, which is what I mentioned earlier, is a history of your career highlights written out long form. Just to be completely honest here, nobody likes writing these. I'm sure nobody likes reading them either. They are boring by nature. So don't worry if the narrative is not your best writing. It is nobody's best writing. But it is important to understand its purpose. And I think this is one thing that many artists get wrong because that purpose is not to deliver a blow-by-blow account of your career highlights from conception to where you are today. It is to provide evidence and argument that you are the most qualified person to complete the work you've proposed in the plan. So if you are writing that you won this and that award in the narrative, you need to also write how that win grew your practice and career in some tangible way that has prepared you for the Guggenheim Fellowship that you are now applying for. And in some ways, it is this narrative arc that you need for almost every grant. And that's why I think this grant is actually a great one to prepare you for other grants. Basically, you're reaching an apex in your career. The momentum has been building to this moment where the granting agency will fund your work and your career will ascend to new heights previously unimagined by the grantor. This is the dream of every grantor. Now, of course, there's more to this grant than I've laid out, but this should give you a few tips you might not have had otherwise and some insight into the grant. And if you have the exhibition history or you're in the process of building it, and have been thinking about applying to the Guggenheim, I recommend doing it. Because even if you don't get the grant, it's a helpful reminder to yourself that this is where you want to be in your career. The best way to believe that you belong is by doing the work to belong. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review and share it with a friend. It really helps get that valuable information out to more artists just like you. You can find all of the names and the links that we reference in this conversation at workshop.art slash podcast.